Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Uh, he is great and greatly to be praised. Well, um, don't forget, as we settle into the end of this year, remember um, last week we talked about um, swinging the pendulum in a healthy direction as worshipers through giving. So don't forget, um, members, attenders, your commitments, and also the harvest gift by the end of the year. We'll be sending emails out for that. Um, just us continuing to be good stewards, but ultimately being reminded that we worship God ultimately with our giving and everything else that um, those resources are used for is a byproduct of that mission, vision, helping others. But first, it's to God. Somebody say it's to God. Amen. 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 Well, we're still in our rebrand series. Y'all sick of this series? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this will be our base expositional passage today. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through the 23rd verse. 1, 2, 3, read loud. Amen. Today, I would like to talk about rebranding unity and community. Rebranding unity and community. Let's go. Father, um, we are passionate about your um, heart. That's our hope, is that we're passionate about the things that you are passionate about. And that's a progressive work of yours in our life. And one of the things that doesn't seem like something that many of us is passionate about functionally is unity. Lord God, I'm praying today that you would invigorate us. I can't say reinvigorate. I'm saying invigorate us about the beauty and glorious majesty of you being seen through how we link up and lock up as the community of faith. Let your words uh, be my words and let your heart be my heart. 
and let your people receive as well-tilled ground the seeds of your word on today in Jesus name amen you may be seated rebranding unity and community we live um, in what I would say a hyper individualistic culture when we talk about individualism um, we're talking about people or us and I'm talking about me as well all of us we are nurtured in Western culture we're nurtured nurtured in a way where we believe that life is for us by us and to us I mean I mean, I mean it, it, I, everything in our life we live in a customized life uh, we were used to asking the question what do you have for me <clears throat> when someone is selling us something they 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 know and play on the individualism in our society and in our culture and what they will begin to do is they will tell you the personal benefits of something and that way of them explaining those personal benefits to us is their way of selling us something. I mean, when we're so individualistic, we'll go out with a group of 10 people to a restaurant and we'll get to the restaurant and you'll look at the table of 10 people and everybody's like this. Everybody's together, but not together. And, and the only time people will engage each other is they're showing somebody a video of what they're individually watching. And once that's finished, they're back to the individualistic thing. And then when they eat, the food is good, they're quiet. And then after that, they're done. Individualism. We're so individualistic that I almost hit three people yesterday. The way I almost hit three people yesterday is every single person, while my light is green, is looking down at their phone and walks out in the street without thinking, I know I ain't the only one that's experienced that, then I blow my horn at them and they get mad at me. Why do they get mad at me? They're like, I know my light's red, I know yours is green, and I don't know rules, but I'm crossing the street, so you should stop for me. That's how individualistic our society is. But our hyper-individualism has us in a place where we're more isolated than we've ever been. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, uh, on my phone, it will tell you how many hours you spent on it that week. And you'd be like, uh-oh. When they say your, 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 you, your time was up 16%, you know, you're like, ooh, well, I don't remember. And then you see the ones, you don't even want to look at how many hours in the day that actually was, like literally eight hours spent on it. But we live in an isolated, we're more isolated than ever. Not only that, many of us are more worn out than ever. No, we're more worn out than ever because of the lack of being able to re be refueled beyond our individualistic spheres of life. And in many ways, um, many of us are in crowds, but we're relationally, relationally disconnected. And we'll talk about individualism even more in a minute. Now, 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 now as we get into this and we talk about unity and community, I want to differentiate um, individualism from healthy independence, right? Because there, there's a level of healthy independence and there, is, uh, uh, and there is individualism. Individualism wants the world built around you. But, 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 but the difference with individualism and independence is independence is maturity. Now, what do I mean by that? In Galatians chapter 6, verse, two, verse 1 or 2, it'll say, um, bear one another's burdens. But because 
God knows that we will become needy and think that everybody's supposed to bear every single thing in our life. In verse 5, it says everybody should learn how to carry their own load. In other words, there's a balance in life where there's a side of maturity, and we'll come back to this in a minute, where we take responsibility for the things that's in our life. For instance, one of the healthy ways of independence is first taking responsibility for your personal sin. You know, that, that's how you know you, you, you that's healthy. Like, that, that's healthy. Admit you're wrong sometimes. That, that's, that's healthy. That's, that's good for you. You can't, nobody can confess your sin for you. Okay? Okay, I, I, I just want to say, but another one is taking personal responsibility for your own personal growth. I, I, I like the way it says in Philippians 3, Paul says, I press towards the mark. In other words, there's a level in your life of healthy independence where you're not expecting everybody else to help you grow, but you take a personal responsibility for owning your own growth and connecting to God's means of grace for your life. Am I hearing here alone? Um, not only that, but owning your personal responsibilities, like we said earlier, carrying your own load. But unhealthy individualism is rejecting accountability. Can't nobody tell you nothing. Your life is hyper-isolated. Another one is not accepting the, role, the, uh, the core role of spiritual community. We'll come back to that over and over and over again. Because I think it's going to be very, very important that I, I do think that post-pandemic, we're going to have to be very, it's going to be a long-term work of us being reprogrammed. Um, because many of us were emotionally isolated. We were spiritually isolated. We were financially isolated. We are physically isolated. And some of us haven't detoxed back into integrating into biblical normacy. And so, and so as we're getting back into biblical normalcy, uh, I, I, many of us, even myself, had to work through the challenges of emotional unhealth and the need for therapy because not realizing that the isolation broke something in us. And so now with the isolation breaking something in us because that's the reason why God said man was not meant to be alone. He wasn't talking about the man relationship merely to the woman in marriage. He was talking about a universal, uh, a, a universal principle of community. Matter of fact, God ain't alone. God is in three persons, but he's, but, but he's one God. So God, has, he, God didn't become God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They have always existed in that way. And so his call for us to community is a reflection of his essence and how he lives and how he functions. And because he functions talking to the son. And the Bible says in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians that the spirit of God, even though he knows everything, searched the depths of the father. And so in other words, there's a communal relationship. The Bible says in, in, first, I mean, in John chapter 1, it says, no one has seen the only begotten son of God uh, 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 who is in the bosom of the Father. In other words, that word for bosom points to eternal community. So they eternally commune with each other, and that's a part of their self-sufficiency as the Godhead. In other words, when Grandmama said, God is God all by himself, he don't need nobody else, that's because he got himself. Y'all get that on the way home. And so in helping us who aren't gods and aren't Trinitarian in our essence, our nature, we need other people, all right? Now, another thing 
is making your relationship with God personal only. I'm going to talk about that. You know, the, you know the people that, you know, I'm spiritual, right? You know, that means I create and construct my own spirituality. Therefore, I'll hear what you have to say if I like it. But you're not going to lock me into anything that is command-oriented. So I'm spiritual means I'm open to everything, which means really you're not because you're close to the gospel. But you ever said somebody, you know Jesus as your savior? Oh, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. Nobody said anything. You just hate Jesus so much. You know, because what we want to do with our individualism is we want to we want to construct our own spiritual path. You know, many people will say, "What well, the God that I serve won't do that. Well, which one are you talking about? Because the characteristics that you're bringing up about God ain't consistent with what he said. Well, I'm just saying the way I feel God. No, God isn't submitted to this society's self-identification clauses. Because you want to repronounce God and you want to reconstruct who he is because it doesn't fit with what you like. Well, you're in a society where say you want to identify as this. Well, if, my, if God's word is God breathed, how dare you try to reconstruct his self-identification of how he reveals himself? If you want respect on your self-identity, you need to submit and respect God's self-identity. And so what is community? And unity, y'all know I love definitions. Y'all like definitions? I like definitions. It, it helps us to get all on the same page. Um, community means participation in fellowship. Somebody say koinonia. You need to memorize that word. That word koinonia is a word that means to partner in the fellowship. What, what, is, what does that look like in here? It means the act of sharing in the activities and privileges of an intimate association with Jesus, one another, and engagement of the world. It's engagement with Jesus. That means Jesus defines community. Us getting together doesn't define community. He defines it. What makes Christian community Christian community is Jesus, not the food you bring. Right? All right? Jesus defines it. If, 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 you're, if, if Jesus isn't present, you're just having a nice time. Okay, but then uh, fellowship also involves others. You can't do community by yourself. That's why it's called one another. Encourage one another. We're going to spur one another along to love uh, one another. And, but then it's not just a kumbaya ingrown toenail where we get around the fire and sing songs and do nothing. It also is a communal engagement of the world. So that's what comprehensive community is. So what is unity? Unity is the quality of the people of God being fundamentally on the same page. That's not uniformity, but unity. Unity of identity, unity of function, and unity of goals. So our goal now is to begin to recalibrate us. So that, this is my goal with this sermon. I really want us... To begin to ask ourselves, we say we want to be a part of the church. We come to church. Come to church is not, or gathering as the saints, is not for an, an, an injection in the arm to get through the week. Okay? So much more than that. It can be that sometimes because some of us can come on our broken parts. Right? 
Some of us can come in and we need that, we need that jolt in the arm, right? But also what we do need is we need to have a bigger picture of the kid who cries until the bottle gets put in their mouth, right? So now when we look at the background of this passage, Corinth is an interesting church. Corinth is the church where it was a port for prostitution, trade, and a wisdom, wisdom ceremony. I mean, they were out, I don't know if you saw Malcolm X where they, sat on, they got on the ladders in Harlem and everybody was talking and running their mouth. So if you got off the port ship in, in, in Corinth, first thing, you know, uh, you, it's like hitting South Street. Somebody or, or watching an old Good Times episode, do open his coat, say, hey, what you need? You know, you know, you need oil. They're trying to put it on your wrist and all of that. Smell this and going like that. That's Corinth right there. Corinth, they're trying to sell you something, pulling something out on you. Like, whoa, you... That's Corinth. Somebody, somebody is trying to get you, come with me, boo. Or he said, come with me, yo. you know, you know, prostitution, right? That's, that was Corinth. But then you had people spouting their philosophy. And so as a result of their philosophy being spouted, everybody wanted to construct their own individualistic framework for life. And not only their own individualistic framework for life, but also they developed cliques in the world. And those cliques made themselves in the church. And what ended up happening, instead of the church being a community, it became a bunch of cliques. And in it becoming a bunch of cliques, it was philosophical cliques. People that said, I am of this one and I am of that one. And, and, and what they began to do is it became micro ghettos in a macro environment. In other words, a ghetto isn't just where poor, underprivileged people of color live. A ghetto is where it's homogeneous, monolithic, and it's isolated. That's what a ghetto is. And so when a ghetto, many times in churches, we got too many ghettos in the church. We got the ghetto of my personal preference. We got the ghetto of gossiping. We got the ghetto of, we got all different kinds of, we got the ghetto of, I don't like what the pastor said. You got the ghetto, oh, let's not get started. We got all kinds of ghettos, but I wish that we would gentrify the church with, with, with true biblical community and do a restoration project so that we can all have one community instead of these housing projects of brokenness. And so as we come into this text, Paul builds a weighty foundation. He builds a weighty foundation in giving them two things that lay out, but particularly one that we're going to focus on today, that the church needs to come out of its individualistic identity and have a communal one. So I got one point and one point only, and I'm out your way. You must move from the faith being about me to it being about we. You got to move from the faith, from the church, being about me and it being about we. Verse 16, he said, don't you yourselves... Know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you. Now, why in the world would Paul do this? Why would he say, do you not know that you're God's temple? It seems like he's telling, he's separating them again by telling them that they're individually temple. But if you look at this in the original language, 
This isn't you singular, it's you plural. He means y'all are the temple. Now, I know most of us think that we're individual temples, but that's not necessarily a focused biblical concept. We're not the temple of God until we're together as a local church. He said, he said, do you not yourselves not know? See, most of us be like, you know, you know, that person say, you know, I, I, I'm the church. You, you know how we do? You know, the person say, you know, I, I, you know, I, oh, come on, come, come gather with the saints. Well, I'm the church. Where's that in the Bible? It says you are parts of one body. So you, you can't church by yourself. <laughs> the reason why I like this is because I am fighting against the negative branding of church online. I want church to stop being a curse word and a byword and it to be what it's supposed to be, the gathering of his holy ones. <laughs> I want it to return to that. So I'm gonna keep saying church, church. And I want it not to be a trigger for you because some of us, the word church is a trigger, but I want us to view it as a change agent. <clears throat> You know, people say, I am the temple. No, you're not the temple. We together are the temple. Yeah, some people say, I don't need church. It's interesting. If Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and you say, you don't need what he's building, that's confusing if you're a Christian. If Jesus is building something, you say you don't need, you have to, you have to be careful of letting a bad experience or experiences make you make something be defined by your experiences versus God's truth. Let me see if I can make it plain. Some of y'all done been through some bad relationships, but you ain't gonna say I'm gonna be celibate for the rest of my life. They hurt me, I ain't, I ain't getting in another relationship. Let, let you get on the wrong night in your bed by yourself with your lying self. If you had experience with a bad boss, you don't say, I'm never working again. <laughs> try it. Go ahead, try it. Go ahead. Be angry and bitter with work. Go ahead. See how you, you lose everything. <laughs> but the church is the only people, only thing <laughs> that people will eternally give up on and act like it's not. Listen, and don't forget the church is the bride of Christ. So if you hate her, you hate him. I wish you would say you don't like me, but you want to sit down and talk to me and chill with me and you don't like my wife. I don't even know how that's going to work. You going to come talk about my wife to me, how much you hate her and think I'm going to enjoy the meal? Nah, fam. The meeting's off. So we got to heal from some stuff. Somebody say heal. heal. But you know, some of us people that are so enlightened by today's ideologies, we think so, we're so smart. But the individualism really comes from Europe. Some of y'all, some of y'all hyper power people don't realize that your spiritual individualism is not even historically how you were heritage wise. Even as a non-Christian historically, in African and Asia, they don't even think like this. There's a cultural connection to community 
that's fundamental relationally. Like, so when you take on Western individualism, you're taking on a whitewashed view of culture. Because individualism is actually from the enlightenment. <laughs> and so what we now, now what we begin to do is what we begin to do is we act like we're awakening to something. You're not awakening to nothing. We're, we're, we're culturally, all of us, we're getting dumber. Because we think we're smarter than God. And we think we can reconstruct a better life a better self, a better me, a better community. We think we can do, we are so arrogant. Don't let your trauma make you create an idol. I empathize with the trauma. Listen, individualism endorses a principle, listen, <laughs> that the ends or purposes of the human individual possess dignity and worth that take precedent over communal, metaphysical, cosmological, and religious priorities. That means that individualism says, what I want takes precedent over everything. That's why I understand what people say when you say, you have to, I, I need to do self-care. But self-care has become an idol. Because all some of us do is self-care. I need some me time. You, you get it all the time, dog. All the time. You, you, you know what I'm saying? We, 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 in other words, we have these words that we've used as a way to communicate our desire to remain an individual and not be assimilated in a good way into God's biblical community. And so I'm praying that that would change for us. It's even like, it's even like media kind of nurtures us in our individualism. You know, when you watch a movie, you ever seen a movie where, you know, somebody's from like some village somewhere and they got a dream that's beyond the village's plans and they really want to go out and they want to explore the world. And the way they brand the movie is it makes the village the antagonist and makes the individual the protagonist. And almost you're in there rooting for them in their individualistic pursuit because it nurtures on what we already individually want. We always, all, everybody wants to be different. Everybody wants to be special. Everybody wants to be standout. Everybody wants to be the unique thing. Everybody wants to be the goat. But there are no goats in God's kingdom. It's a lamb, no. But my Bible says he's separating the sheep from the goats. So try to be the goat, the greatest of all time. I, Go to the throne of Christ and tell him you to go. You the greatest dog. Wow. But that's our culture. And I'm not saying not, don't be good at what you're anointed to do. What I'm saying is we've been nurtured in a deep sense of individualism. So Paul uses two things here <coughs> to describe the church. He uses agriculture and he uses construction. Illustration on agriculture and construction. He starts the chapter we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 3.6. I've misquoted this verse a million times. It can apply to this, but it's not functionally in context what I've used it for. 1 Corinthians 3.6, when Paul says, one plants, one waters, God adds the growth. He's going to say later, I planted, talking about Paul, Apollos watered and God add the growth. 
What is he talking about? He's not talking about evangelism or telling somebody something. In other words, usually we say, look, you got to get out the way. One plants, one water God as it grows. That, that, can, that can be applicational, but the function of this passage is him pushing them towards unity. So what is he talking about? He's using an agricultural illustration to talk about how a church comes into existence. It's not an individual coming into existence. It's a community. So what did he plant? The church. It's not the seed. It's the church. And Apollos preaching watered that and God added the growth where they were today. He goes from that agricultural illustration to a construction illustration. Are y'all trekking with me? <laughs> and when he goes to construction illustration, he used, I, I like this because this came to mind and it's, it's so beautiful how the New Testament authors use the Old Testament very, very well. <laughs> he says, according to verse 10, God's grace, that was given me. I laid a foundation as a skilled master builder. Now that seems a little arrogant, Paul, that you would call yourself a master builder, but he is. Because he's a master builder, it goes back to the Old Testament. When Solomon's temple was being built, God told Moses that he had anointed specific people to build curtains, to cut cedar, to lay gold and melt it and, 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 and put dip pomegranates in it and hang them as ornaments in the temple. And, and, and he called them skillful builders. In other words, he said, I've anointed them with this skill to make the temple what it's supposed to be. And he said, and, and, and the word he uses for skillful builder is our word chokmah. It's the Hebrew word for wisdom or a person that knows how to do something well based on God's anointing on them to make that thing happen well. So the church needs two things. It needs master builders. A church, when it's planted, needs master building in place. It needs development in place. So why does he use these two illustrations? One, agricultural points to the fact that a church needs cultivation. But then on the other side, he uses an engineering illustration to let you know that it's not enough to cultivate if you don't have construction. So you need people in the, in, in, in the birth position of the church to be cultivators in the church, not devastators of the church. Help me today, God. Because we need people. See, see if, you're gonna, if you ever got out in the yard, you don't put on a tailored suit to do agricultural work. What you got to do is you got to put on some boots, some jeans. Like, like y'all don't know nothing about this. Some of, some of the older men, about, we used to wear tough skins. Who remember tough skins? Tough skins, we get them joints from Sears. When your mom, you cry when your mama took you to Sears to get, you cry. JCPenney, the worst thing in the world is to go to, to the generic. And the tough skin, the Wranglers had, the, they had these inner knee pads on them. Because we would, you, you know, kids will tear their clothes up. So tough skins was a tougher type of pant that could deal with the durability of what the kid was going to do when the child put it on. We got to put on some tough skin to do church ministry. I'm by myself. Listen, I'm calling you to be a cultivator. Every one of you. Every one of us. We need people to cultivate, but we also need people to construct. Construction, what does that look like? People come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. They come up. Somebody being willingly saying, I want to take your information. I want to make sure that you understand 
who, how you came to the faith. I'm going to take your information. There's a post-process on how to make sure that that person is connected with and is influenced and pushed into covenant community and connected with well and walked with well and developed well. That's infrastructure. That's infrastructure. If, 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 if somebody is on the wayward end of the community, having an organic and organized way of structuring, making sure that nobody feels alone, that nobody feels disconnected, that we're cultivating, but we're also constructing. We got to do both, family. And it takes all of us to do this. It takes all of us to do this. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm trying to preach us into being a real church. When I say real church, I'm not just talking about arrogant kind of rawness. I'm talking about authentically biblical that's fighting to grow to be what God has called us to be. Because I don't think anything can stand against us based on the scriptures. He said the gates of hell can't do nothing with them. Eric Mason translation. And so what is a temple? I'm going to fly through this. So what is a temple? It's four things. Four things that we point to. First, the temple is a place of worship. It is a location of God's dwelling presence. It is a place of sacrifice, and it is the focal point of mission. Let me say that again. It is a place of worship. <clears throat> it's a place of worship. In the Salmonic Temple in 2 Chronicles 5.12, they had trumpets and harps and cymbals, and they were worshiping in that mug. I loved it. Not only that, it's a location of God's dwelling presence. <clears throat> when they started worshiping in verses 13 and 14 in 2 Chronicles, it says the, <clears throat> the temple, the Lord's temple, was filled with a cloud. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this or not. Your devotional time is good. And I've had some great devotional time, but there is never anything like when we communally link up as the church and the way God's dwelling presence come among us. See, you, you, know, you know when God's present, because you know the, my, 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 my hallelujah shouting people, they want to stay there real long. They don't want to ever come up out of it. They say, hallelujah, bless your God. They in that thing. But you know when God's presence is there, the person that don't never lift their hands, they don't know what to do. So they just kind of stand up and they just kind of, they just kind of look, they just don't even know, they're just in God's presence. Listen, God's presence, when, he come, when we come together, should touch everybody as we come together. And there's healing in it. It's a place of sacrifice. Because Chronicles talks about the fact that they brought sheep and goats and cattle in there. And the temple shouldn't stop being that. Christ died, but he still calls us to sacrifice. How does he call us to sacrifice? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, right? And it's the focal point of mission. I love this. When Solomon prays, he says in verse 32 of chapter 6, he says, he says even for the foreigner, he's talking about praying. He says, the foreigner who is not your, of your people, Israel, but has come from a distance land because of your great name and your strong hand and outstretched arm. Verse 33, do all the foreigner ask, and all that all the peoples of the earth will know your name. In other words, there was a focus not just on our worship, a focus not just on our service of each other, but it was also and our sacrifice within it, but also our mission to the world. 
And so that's where I'm believing God will take us. He said, do you know that the Holy Ghost lives in you? And I like this in verse 17. He says, if anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy him. What does that mean? How do you destroy God's temple? It's in the text. Disunity. Division. Operating as an individual and not functioning in your God-ordained place. So what? God has very strong words to say about division. In the church. I don't know if you know that, but in Romans 16, he, calls it, he tells us to avoid them. In Titus 2, he says, have nothing to do with them. And in Proverbs 6, he calls it an abomination. But look at verse 18. This is beautiful. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise, this is interesting to be using these words, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. Why does he say, why is he using wise and fool? Because Paul calls himself a master builder. He says, people who are in the church that think they know what they're doing and they don't. So he says, become a fool in God's eyes. How do you become a fool? Humble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you humble. I don't know. Any. In other words, it's calling them to be an apprentice of God. Yeah. Yeah. It's calling you. Well, whenever you don't know a trade, you don't just come laying drywall come and trying to spackle tearing the structure up. You don't just start laying wood. No, you do an apprenticeship. And when you do an apprenticeship, that's being a fool in a good way. You're watching and you're learning and you take assignments. And that takes humility. A master builder is a process, not an event. And God's goal is that each one of us would become master builders in his godly community so that we all can become fools and then begin to grow and develop in what it means to develop and beautify God's kingdom. So what does unity look like? What does it look like? Recognize we have one source. <clears throat> we have one source who's God. We must realize we have one mission. And realizing that it takes us to do it together. And then finally, restoring a community of deep love. I'm done. These application points and I'm out your way. What are some of the ways that we walk in unity? I'm done after this. What are some ways we walk in unity? Number one, connect with the church. Simply, connect. Like Hebrews, he says don't neglect the gathering together. He says, because some of y'all made it a habit. That's not Eric Mason, that's the text. Right? He said, consider it, right? Next one. Have sound fellowship outlets. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. It's not talking about having unsaved friends. It's talking about where, you, where your advice column comes from. In other words, they, they can tell you how to get a house, how to buy a car, but not how to connect with God. Not who you should marry. And don't give me that, well, I get more sound advice outside the church than I do in the church. I'm so sick of, that's because you ain't around enough solid people and you keep running into you. So sick of that. 
This verse ain't about dating. It's about community. Next. Next, grow with the church. Grow with the church. Let me, let me come back to that one. Be an investor, not just a withdrawer. See, many of us just like to withdraw, right? But let's be an investor. It says employ your gifts and serve in one another. But then lastly, grow with the church. He says, why do we come in existence? Verse 13 of Ephesians 4. We all reach the unity of the faith of God's son growing into maturity by the fullness of Christ. No longer little children. When you're disconnected from growing with the church, you are tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. It's very, very rarely I've seen a disconnected person from community be stable. But listen to verse 16, I'm done. Fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament. Listen to that locked in language. The growth of the body building itself up, proper working of every individual part. Put that picture up there for me. Put that picture up there for me. I, I, I'm done. I'm done. God, God, God wants us connected. So when, when, I, when we went overseas, my wife and I, we were on the Mediterranean. We went to, we went to uh, Ephesus, Turkey. Ephesus, Turkey. We, we, we went and, and we enjoyed ourselves. We went to Corinth. And, 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 as we, and as we were there, this is particularly Turkey right here. As we were in Turkey, we, we saw uh, some things that Paul did, all kinds of good stuff. But this one struck me. They, we went to the place where they make the Persian rugs. Y'all remember the Persian rugs? Your grandmama might have had one of them that's in the middle of the floor. To, even though she got that thick carpet, in the middle of the floor, she got the Persian rug with the couch with the, the sweaty uh, plastic on it, and one of them ends catch you on the elbow, uh, scratch your skin off to the white meat. You, uh, you know, I don't know if y'all remember that, right? But this is where they make the rugs at. Now, now this was interesting to me. <laughs> because I, they, they made silk rug. I don't, I don't, if you ever touch a silk Persian rug, that thing make you purr like a cat. It's just nice. It's just nice. But they showed us the process, and they said, these silk worms build a cocoon around themselves individually. And after they build the cocoon, he says, silk, even by itself, is pretty strong, right? But he says... In order to make it ready, I have to put it in this water with all of these other ones that have been spawning and soak them together. As they soak together in the preparation bowl, she takes each, she takes a, 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 a whisking spoon that has a hook on it and connects it to different ones that are ready to be harvested. And what they do is she pulls it over here, she hooks it on this, and pulls it over here to a spool. And all of these different ones, these are multiple pieces of silk from different ones who have spent the necessary individual time being in the maturity chamber to make sure that what they were born to do was done right and built right and developed right so that when they came together with everybody, they could be connected up here and put on the spool and the master or weaver will pull the spool and do it like this. And what will happen is all of these individual strands will switch in 
together and twist in together. And by the time the master builder finishes working on it, the master weaver, they become one strand ready to stitch a beautiful picture or a carpet to be used for someone's use and beauty. That's what God's community is. All of us are silkworms. And what we do is God has given us a mission. And we're supposed to develop a cocoon, but we can't cocoon by ourselves. We got to get with everybody else. And what he does is he pulls together everything, listen, that we've been working on and pull it together in order to make a beautiful, beautiful portrait that shows off Christ's glory and changes the world. So yes, y'all, I believe that we don't have to be typical. <laughs> we have to believe that. I believe that we can come out of typical and be supernatural. And so today, I pray that our lives would come out of the hibernation of what we've dealt with over these last few years and now begin to come out of the caves of our brokenness to experience and to show off Christ fully. Father God, we thank you. <clears throat> every head bow, every eye closed. We know Jesus used these same illustrations, Lord. He used agricultural illustrations and he used constructive illustrations. And the way you said it, you said it's built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Nothing was laid back then without the cornerstone being laid. And we thank you that you laid Jesus the cornerstone. Um, Lord God, but you're still building the eternal building. Maybe you're here today, but we are, God is still building his temple. He builds it through people trusting him as savior. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your confidence in the one who builds things right. He builds you, but he also builds us. And the way to get properly built is, oh, listen, all of us are creation of God when we're born. But because of man, we have some bad structural components to us that needs to be restored. And so Jesus died on the cross to restore us so that we can properly be building elements for his dwelling. But that impacts your life. It helps crush the beef between God and man because of our sin, but also gives us an opportunity to be reconstructed from the inside out. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior, Hold your hand up in the air, and we'd love to talk to you about what it means to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. His death on the cross, faith in him and him alone, took you from spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection. Hold your hand up in the air. We'd love to talk to you about the Savior. Anyone here today that says, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus, yes to his will, yes to his way, and yes to him. Amen. Every head bow, every eye closed. Lord, I'm praying for 
the people in the first service and the second service, a couple people, when we mentioned gender identity, immediately walked out. I pray that you would accost them in Jesus' name and help us to serve well, but help us to be lovingly truthful as well. God, in the name of Jesus. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.